Hello, this is Jenny Nichols, and this is Local Share Green Action, a podcast where people share their stories about meaningful, planet-friendly work in their local communities. They share their paths of green action and the ways they have applied their own talents, interests, and all types of green projects, jobs, businesses, volunteering, and careers. Today on our podcast, I'm speaking with someone who took his degree in environmental science and founded an environmental nonprofit and urban mushroom farm. I'm speaking with Walker Sauls in Reno, Nevada with a nonprofit Green Vibe World in the urban mushroom farm called Biggest Little Mushroom. After Walker Sauls completed his bachelor's of science degree in environmental science, he co-founded Biggest Little Mushrooms with his brother and now works as a head cultivator. They pride themselves in growing high quality mushrooms with as little impact to the environment as possible. In addition to mushroom farming, he also founded and now sits on the board of a local nonprofit called Green Vibe World, which provides an online environmental education platform, as well as organizing local environmental activism events in his area. He has always had a passion for outdoors and nature and is on a mission to be part of a multifaceted solution that will enable humans to live in symbiosis with our beautiful planet Earth. When he is not growing mushrooms or working for Green Vibe, you can find him on the side of a mountain with skis on his feet or a foraging bag on his shoulder. Welcome to the show, Walker. Thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. I'm so excited to speak with you and find out more about your path of green action that led you to creating an environmental nonprofit and sustainable mushroom farm. Yes. So, yeah. So what helped plant the seed for you to want to take some kind of green action originally? Well, originally, I would say that the inspiration was, the seed of inspiration was planted simply through the beauty of the natural world and the realization that we are causing harm to it as humans. And I think a little bit furthermore, um, the realization that we are intimately tied and connected to this natural world and that by harming it, we are not only harming non-human life, but also our own children's potential. Absolutely. Absolutely. So did you always know that you wanted to study environmental science and um, did you have an idea of where you might want that to take you? You know, I actually did not know that I wanted to study environmental science until I was in high school, when I actually developed a deep love for nature through activities like skiing and hiking. And I actually took a a wonderful environmental science class when I was a junior in high school by a teacher named Miss Lucas, probably my favorite class I ever took at Reno High School. And um, it was very inspirational. And I would say that was when I really was um, kind of put on this trajectory of environmental justice. Excellent. So what is something that you think most people probably don't realize about environmental science? Maybe something you learned that made you realize you definitely needed to work uh, out within the community more? Yeah, well, I think in a pretty general sense, I think a lot of people really isolate and separate environmental science from other fields of study and just human welfare in general. In my opinion, it kind of offers an incomplete perspective surrounding environmental issues. It's it's kind of like it's not so black and white. Like I believe everything is connected and plays a role in everything else. For example, how could you expect a financially struggling mother to prioritize the environment over her children? You cannot. It's it would be ignorant to think that the environment 
doesn't have intimate ties to human welfare. There's an examples like that across the board. So I personally believe that our struggle for environmental justice is not going to be conquered by isolating ourselves or environmental issues, but rather by supporting each other in resilient and intentional communities that focus on all of these issues that are going on around our planet and to ourselves. Yeah. Excellent. Did you study fungi and mushrooms specifically when you were in university or maybe on your own? I did not study them at all in college, actually. I, I did on my own. Um, I, got, I got quite immersed in the world of mycology promptly after graduating college, and I moved to Oregon for about four years. I mean, it actually all started out by me foraging for medicinal and edible mushrooms in the rainforests of the Pacific Northwest, and I became more and more involved in that and eventually started growing mushrooms outdoors as a hobby. And it wasn't until I moved back to Reno that I decided to to grow mushrooms for a living. I saw the opportunity down here and um, wanted to spread that consciousness down this way. Great. So when you completed your degree, what did you do first? You said that you went to Oregon, but when you came back, did you do the nonprofit or the mushroom farming first? Well, actually, when I I went to Oregon and I lived there for about four years, and that's actually where I started the nonprofit. So the first thing I did after graduation, I kind of moved up to Oregon and I got a full-time job serving tables. And while I was serving tables, I was getting into mycology on my own, and I also started working on all of the paperwork and IRS registration for the nonprofit. And I was kind of building the vision in my head. And I uh, spent a lot of time designing and building the website, which is which is live green vibe world right now. So that was really my first major effort towards my environmental passion was envisioning and starting to create green vibe up in Oregon while I was working full-time as a server. Excellent. That must have been uh, quite a a balancing act. (laughs) Yes, a little bit. (laughs) So how has it been doing urban farming? Like, and like, how did you first get into the market? Well, it's been a great experience overall. Are you, uh, are you referring to uh, breaking into making sales in the market or just So when you first decided that you were going to start growing mushrooms um, and then you needed a place to sell them, did you already know some people within, like, I think um, you're in uh, one of the farmer's markets right now and that program, did you know somebody there first or did you just introduce yourself? So actually, you know, we were lucky enough to when we were looking for our first customers, we were actually the the only established mushroom farm around Reno. And one of the first people we reached out to was um, a local chef named Mark Estes. And he owns Liberty Food and Wine Exchange, as well as several other restaurants around the area. And he was very supportive of, of us. It seemed like the local food scene was kind of in need of some local mushroom growers. And we were welcomed with open arms. And honestly, one connection getting into Liberty turned into another connection where we were able to get into the co-op. And through this local community, we were able to meet more and more people where one connection turned into another and so on, kind of like the mycelium of mushrooms. (laughs) So it's felt very uh, quite organic and, and natural so far, which has been great. Great. 
Wow. So I guess in the beginning, what was the process like getting your producer certification? Right. Um, It was relatively straightforward. We went through the steps to apply for the certificate online and we were approved within two or three months. I will say that they were unresponsive at first and it took us following up by a couple emails and it seemed like the, the squeaky wheel got the grease in that kind of situation. So after a couple follow-up emails, they did approve us promptly. Okay, nice. Good advice. <laughs> yeah. So after interviewing Caroline with the Reno Mobile Market, I'd love to um, have your perspective on the multiple producer CSA boxes and the mobile market model. Right. Yeah. You know, I I uh, I think the mobile market model is is great for a couple of reasons. You know, by setting up these satellite stands in different neighborhoods around around Reno, there's there's more produce being sold, and that um, that not only directly supports local farmers, but it also provides healthy, nourishing, and sustainable food to people that might not want to drive all the way down to the main market. So if you I mean, it's really a true win-win-win scenario if you also consider that it is instilling a sense of food awareness and community within everyone involved and customers included. So I feel similarly about the uh, CSA boxes. They're kind of like a a fun way for people to get involved in, in local food. Nice. Do you also know like fellow producers that are also um, doing like urban farming as well? Yes, through this kind of local local food scene network that I've uh, found myself in, I have I have uh, been able to connect with some like some local bakeries, a couple other local urban farmers, and I hope to establish uh, relationships with them to where we can continue to work together and just stay connected in the community. Really nice. So as your farming um, business expands, where would you like it to be ideally? Do you see yourself growing a lot or do you want to stay the same or how do you see that? Right. Yes, I I definitely hope for us to be growing in in the near future. It's my intention to start branching into a couple new species of gourmet Uh, mushrooms, but even more so, I would say my main intention is to begin growing certain medicinal species that I can then turn into medicinal extracts and supplements to then sell to the local community in order to support health and wellness right here. Very good. So what is a project that, so as, first of all, as a nonprofit, how has it been working with Green Vibe in uh, the community that you're in now? You know, it's been it's been very rewarding. I would say, you know, we it's it's a bit of a, a side project right now. So I do have a lot of responsibilities with the mushroom business, but we have we have four people on our team as our board of directors, and we all are very very passionate. And we've had a great response from the local community, where people are just excited to to come out and help us volunteer. And um, our social media following has been great. It's been quite organic and natural. And although we're, we're quite small as of now, we are very dedicated and motivated. And we, we really look forward to um, harnessing this energy that we have from the community and continuing to grow with and within Reno. That's great. That's great. So are you keeping in contact with 
some of your peers that maybe also had the same type of study in environmental science? Yes, definitely. <clears throat> I have a few I have a few peers from from college and from high school that have similar interests that we uh, we do stay connected. And um, actually, one of them, funny enough, I I kind of ran into when I was doing something for the mushrooms and our two lines of work kind of intersected for a day. So that was fun. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I wanted to know, like, what are some of the things that you have incorporated in your farming practices mm -hmm. that have made it more sustainable, maybe as opposed to what um, the conventional uh, farming model might be doing in mushroom farming? Right, right. Yeah. So um, what I've noticed in the, the industry kind of standard in mushroom farming is to use all disposable cropping containers, or really it's just bags, like plastic disposable bags. Right. So every time you grow a crop of mushrooms, you throw out the bag and you have to buy new ones. Um, so one of the big things we do is we grow our mushrooms out of modified food, food grade five gallon buckets. Um, so that allows us, it's a little bit more work around the farm labor wise, but we believe that that is definitely worth um, the environmental input. Um, so we, we clean out these buckets in between each crop and we reuse them. <clears throat> so that cuts down on single-use disposable plastic waste. And then furthermore, another big step that we've taken is to utilize local waste streams to actually grow our mushrooms. So <clears throat> another kind of industry standard is to source the perfect substrate to produce the most and healthiest, happiest mushrooms. Um, but in a lot of the reading and studying that I've done, people encourage trying to find local waste streams to grow specifically oyster mushrooms. They're a very aggressive species of mushroom, and they can grow on a lot of different substrates. So although we might not be getting the very best in terms of yields, when we do this, we are still getting quite good yields, and it all it took was about a year of experimentation where we were finding different local waste streams. Like we currently source spent coffee grounds from a local coffee shop and that's part of our substrate mix. And another big part of our substrate mix is act actually hemp waste. So hemp fiber and herds. So we have found a local hemp farmer, made a connection with him. We process all of this stuff ourselves and we have kind of dialed in a locally sourced waste stream mix of substrate. All of this uh, hemp and coffee grounds, it's all organic. And we were able to um, create a viable business model growing on these local waste streams. So that really just took a lot of experimentation, time, patience, and you know, a little bit of risk involved. We didn't know exactly how it was going to work out. And um, but I think that's kind of what it takes is just kind of getting your hands dirty and having the dedication to the sustainable practices. That's, that's great. Wow. Yeah. So those are, those are two of the main things. And we hope to uh, trying to practice um, as low input practices as possible, as many low input practices as possible. And down the road, it is our intention to get some solar panels and eventually become a fully kind of off-grid or carbon neutral mushroom farm running on just solar energy. Nice. Nice. 
So what are maybe some of the challenges that you faced as an urban farmer or with your nonprofit? For urban farming, I, I would have to say that the biggest challenges for me surround persistence and, and dedication, really. You know, it was a lot of hard work. I mean, it, it is a lot of hard, hard work. And there were a lot of things that I had to figure out on my own. And I, I still am doing that. <clears throat> that and the inherent risk of starting a business can be stressful and can cause somebody to want to uh, fold or quit. So I think it, it really takes a lot of determination and willpower and, and belief, really, just really believing in yourself. And um, I think that's probably one of the most challenging things is just um, not giving up and holding strong, really. I think you just mentioned kind of what helped you weather some of those challenges. So, so what are maybe some of the ways that you and others and um, are enjoying the rewards of your efforts with farming? That that's a good question. Um, I've been so busy lately that I ask myself the same thing sometimes. <laughs> but no, I uh, I would have to say that my friends and family definitely reap the benefits of having lots of fresh mushrooms to eat. I, I also personally reap the benefits of um, running this mushroom farm because my my I have a lot of work, but my schedule can be pretty flexible certain days, which is uh, which is great for somebody who loves skiing. So if there's a great day of powder skiing to be had, I'm kind of able to either work super hard the days before or figure out a way to go to go get some powder turns, which. Uh, which causes me to be happy. <laughs> that and then with with Green Vibe, you know, I think the re we reward for for that kind of work is very inherent within me. Um, so I mean, just seeing people come out and connect over environmental issues, it just puts a smile in my heart. So I think that's kind of the reward right there for me. Excellent. I would also think that it's just really nice that what you're doing as an urban farmer farmer in that you're really bringing sustainability to what you're doing is something that just kind of brings people together that have a common thinking, a way of wanting to be more responsible and caring for the planet. So yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if your ideas and your experience and wisdom were all wrapped up in new seeds of potential action for other people in other cities, what advice would you give to someone who is considering this? Well, I would say, I would say go for it and don't give up. Like I mentioned earlier, um, expect to work hard and to fail. I would say try and cultivate an almost Zen-like patience surrounding your efforts and get creative, experiment, see what works for you in your specific situation. And know that things will get smoother once you break the barrier to entry. And I've found things that really help me with that is just taking care of myself, healthy living practices, eating healthy, exercising, meditation, spending time outdoors in nature. All of those things help cultivate this willpower and this patience that is required for doing this kind of thing. Yeah, I'd just say go for it. <laughs> Jump on in. <laughs> so what um, maybe resource, maybe a book or website or film that's been particularly helpful or informative for you as you've, as you've done this? Yes. 
Well, I have two. Um, when it comes to mushroom and fungi inspiration to kind of open people's minds and uh, something that's very enjoyable, at least for me to watch, is a film called Fantastic Fungi, which was done by Paul Stamets, who's an amazing mycologist. And it is just, it's a very well done film, very inspirational. I would highly recommend it. <clears throat> And when it comes to hard studying and reading, really figuring out how to get this stuff done, there's one book that I would recommend over any other that I've read, and that is Radical Mycology. It's a thick book, but it is fantastic. It's uh, my go-to for sure. Nice. Nice. So what things would you like to maybe share with others, maybe for people that are in the Northern Nevada area or people that are um, in other areas of the, of the country or the world? So for the nonprofit, we are we have decided to make a campaign where we will do one cleanup event per month throughout the year of 2021. So if you do follow us on social media, it's Green Vibe World is our account. Um, and we will post about those events on our social media accounts and our website, greenvibe.world. It is up and running and it is an educational platform for all things environmental science. And um, I would highly encourage people to go and check that out where we do have periodic blog posts that are that are made by us for Green Vibe. And in terms of the, the mushrooms, you know, you can support us by going to Great Basin Food Co-op in Reno to buy our mushrooms. And starting in March, every Saturday, we will have our own booth at the Riverside Farmers Market. So I'm looking forward to getting out to the community and seeing everybody's beautiful faces and uh, selling some mushrooms. You know, you can follow us on Instagram as well. It's Biggest Little Mushrooms. And I just really hope that everyone, uh, you know, enjoys the mushrooms and we continue to connect and grow and create something beautiful. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share that with us. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us for Local Share Green Action. Until next time, let's all use our unique talents and abilities and take meaningful green local action that benefits the planet and people.